Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. It's a late week mailbag edition with the Chiefs playing on Monday Night Football and the bye week and all that stuff. Things are a little bit, the schedule is a little bit different than we're used to. Um, but good news Matt Lane thought this week was Thanksgiving. So he and his entire family are in Kansas City. Matt Lane is in my basement right now. Find him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Matthew Lane, hello. How you doing, Kent? It's it's nice to see you in person. I now get to make these fun hair jokes to your face. I can reach across the table and run my hand through your luscious locks without even having to ask you to do it. It's really, really nice. That feels so weird. It's okay. Just let it happen. I do wish that our third buddy here, Craig Stout, could be with us, but we will be seeing him shortly. He still, unfortunately, is a man of real world life has to do so many great things we heard him singing earlier it was phenomenal it really was really the most renaissance man you could be craig stout how you doing today bud Uh, i'm doing great hey seriously reach over and just keep your hands in kent's hair for the rest of the show like you are probably going to have the best performance on a podcast that we've had ever just because you're in the presence of that hair right now People won't believe this, but it doesn't even feel like there's product in this hair. It's just <laughs> that natural. It's just beautiful. It's just there. It feels so great. If if Matt approaches my hair, it's going to be the shortest episode in the history of the AP Laboratory. I'm Thanks for downloading, you. everybody. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've got we've got some questions that we got to get to. You guys had some stuff you wanted to talk about after the Chargers game. I think the initial thought, like right after the game. I kind of thought we were going to have to have chief to, Chiefs to this because several people were just very upset. And understandably, there's plenty to unpack with this football team. And I think it kind of comes out in the questions you ask. But we'll start with this. It's a five-star review question. If you leave a five-star review on one of the podcast channels, we'll see it. We'll answer your question. Green Machine 224. I know it was the first game back against the Chargers, but somehow I am still worried that this group can't get it done struggle to run the football and the chiefs need to run the ball to win out games am i crazy or will this improve i think this offense will get better i think that was there's there's a lot to unpack with this with this offense last week and i think we've got more questions there kind of get a little bit more granular in it there was so much going against them be it the altitude be it you know the the quicksand field uh i part of me wonders if they were just shutting it down to try to keep patrick mahomes alive Anything happening? The kneecap, um, Tyree Kill going out. Like it sounds like a list of excuses. It kind of is. We'll get more into that here in a little bit, though. The game definitely seemed like they were just trying to get out of it alive. It seemed like the Chiefs, especially once they were kind of winning a little bit, they were just trying to get out of there, keep everybody healthy, get the game over with. We saw them try to play a little bit more ball control. Everything was short and underneath. They didn't really trust 
whether it's the pass protection or the receivers to really get vertical and not get themselves maybe slipping around on the field or anything. It was just a very weird thing to see out of the Chiefs offense. And I do think that Kent's right. You can chalk up some of that to weird circumstances. They just took a pretty long travel, you know, time to get down there. They're playing at crazy altitude. They're playing on a disgustingly bad field. All this stuff's happening. That said, I think the concerns about how poor the offense looked, and not even necessarily just poor, just how timid they look to run their normal offense, is something to be concerned about going forward if it doesn't get fixed. You've now gone two weeks, back-to-back weeks, with some glaring issues on the offensive side of the ball. The defense played better, but you've got Pat back for two games now, and you haven't got a great performance either time now. That's definitely something to be a little concerned with if they don't get it ironed out coming out of the bye week. Yeah, and I don't think that they're going to run the ball. I know that that's part of this question. This is just isn't a running team. Uh, none of these guys run the ball particularly well. LaShawn McCoy is the best at it, and he is currently concussed because Pat Mahomes kind of airmailed one to him. That's unfortunate. Well, but um, LaShawn McCoy even has ball security issues as well. We saw him make that awesome juke in the backfield and get out to the goal line and then fumble and recover his own fumble. I just don't think that this is going to be a very strong running team. I know a lot of times people say, you know, the run game wins in January. Not when you have Patrick Mahomes. Have him throw the ball. I I just don't think that you're going to necessarily see them switch to a more run-heavy attack. We saw at the end of the game here what it looked like with a run-heavy attack. And it stunk. So <laughs> let, let's avoid that as much as possible. Put the ball in Mahomes' yeah. hands. Put it in your better playmaker's hands. That was the most concerted effort they had all season to run the football. And it was It was gross. atrocious. <laughs> I think I, oh, you said. I also just like how our defensive analyst is the one to talk about the run game. The two guys that are more offensive, just like, yeah, we don't even talk about that nonsense <laughs> because who cares? We don't even acknowledge its existence. I mean, there's no point. Seriously, the Chiefs' run blocking is absolutely garbage. Hopefully it gets better with Eric Fisher, but it's terrible. I don't think they do any favors with the amount of RPOs that they run and just the type of the style of running team they are, but their run blocking has not been good this year. I don't think this is going to be a ground-and-pound team any point in time in the near future. You're going to have to let that dream go. This running attack is going to survive on the random chunk, not random, but the sporadic chunk plays that you get of the 20, 30, 50 yard long ones that just kind of balance it out. If not, it's going to be a lot of games that look a lot like that trying to run the ball. All right, let's jump into the Twitter questions. Our guy, Keith McLean, are we expecting too much from this team? Are they actually a team that we unfairly expect to win 50 nothing every week, or are they just a decent team with a winning record? So far this year, they've definitely been more of the latter. I think this team has gone from, to start the year, the expectation was the Chiefs' normal would be a Super Bowl winning kind of performance. The team would look like a Super Bowl winning team that's ready to compete for the Super Bowl. That's what they looked like last year. Any given week, their average game was good enough to beat any other team. This year, it looks like their average game isn't quite enough, going to be enough to beat playoff game teams four times in a row. That kind of makes them a team that's a playoff caliber team that just is going to need a run to win the Super Bowl. The good news is you've got multiple weeks now to figure it out. They have had a lot of injuries. You haven't seen the Chiefs team at full health with time to work together. you got a couple weeks to figure that out. But without improvement, yeah, you're hoping for a Giants-type team that makes it into the playoffs and then goes on a run where they play above the level they played all year to win the Super Bowl. And if that's your expectations, then you're just going to have to realize that going into it. But like I said, they do have time to change this kind of narrative these last few weeks of the regular season. 
I expect the 2018 offense every single game, and I expect the 85 Bears defense every <laughs> single game. Yes, 50 to nothing, or, you know, it's unacceptable. It might as well be a loss. Now, it, there, guys, there's just there's a ton of expectations on this team, and rightfully so. If they don't win the Super Bowl this year, it's a disappointment. I, I think all of us can agree with that. They need to win a championship in Mahomes' rookie window that is closing. I, I just think that that sort of expectation is permeating every single game. Guys, every single Super Bowl team has these sorts of issues every single year. Those teams that are just unstoppable throughout the year that you can think of off the top of your head, guess what? They lost the Super Bowl when it got to it. So... The teams that typically win the Super Bowl are more battle-tested. They have stretches where they don't play well. They have stretches where they figure it out. It's about being hot in December, January, February. It's okay to judge them fairly and expect more, but it's also got to come with a grain of salt that this is November. These games aren't as important. Get in the dance and do it there. Nobody wants to play the Chiefs. I'll just tell you that much. <laughs> And so just think about it that way. No one, no one's going to want to play the chiefs because they're going to be terrified that they'll put it all together. And if they get hot at the home stretch, it's going to be even more obvious. They're going to be terrified. Nate CH four seventy nine, Sammy Watkins. Talk about Sammy Watkins, his issues and why he can't get the ball. I mean, it's a lot. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a lot to this. First off, I, I saw, um, I saw a play tonight. the, Sammy Watkins made two dudes lose their jock straps on one play uh, in Mexico City. Maybe it was the quicksand. I don't know, but he looked spry. He looked, uh, he looked really good. I think there's it's 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 several issues though. I it starts with his lack of ability to stay healthy. I don't think you're ever really going to be able to understand what kind of consistent performance you're going to get. And I think it's not even just on a game to game basis. I think sometimes it's on a play to play basis. Uh, I'm kind of wondering how much trust Mahomes has in Sammy Watkins at this point. There was a he was wide open in the middle of the field on one of the plays they ran. I I don't know if it was a sticks play on like a third and seven or what, but Patrick Mahomes took the hard way and tried to fit one into McCole Hardman when Sammy Watkins would have been matched up with a linebacker. So I don't know if it's a lack of trust if Pat didn't see it, but. I just I don't know if I don't know how much trust he has just not just play game to game but like play to play. I'm at the point where I'm kind of wondering if Sammy Watkins' body is breaking down a little bit more than we know with the injury report. I think everyone's well aware of his long injury history when he's missing time, when he comes out of games and stuff like that. But I just wonder if he's kind of getting to the point to where when he wakes up and goes out there on the field, he just simply doesn't feel right. Because like Ken said, he'll make two guys miss and look fantastic on one play. The next play, he'll come around the backfield on a motion, kind of jet sweep thing, and he'll just kind of jog out into his route. Or when he'll get the ball, he'll just look like a guy that can't jump and throw like a tiny bunny hop in the air trying to jump up to catch a pass. And I just think it's, like he said, a play-to-play -play thing where his body just doesn't feel right. I think all these injuries may be catching up to him a little bit, and that goes into whether it's Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes. I just don't think the Chiefs feel like they can trust him to call his number as the primary read over and over again like they did at the beginning of the year in that Jacksonville game. 
we've kind of got past that point to where you're calling a ton of plays for Sammy Watkins, and now you're calling plays for him in spots. And when Mahomes doesn't see him sometimes, I think it's because he's just thinking in his head, my reads are probably Kelsey, somebody else, and then whatever I feel comfortable. And I'm not sure Sammy Watkins falls into that I feel comfortable category for the simple fact that he's just not consistent. He really has not been consistent throughout games, throughout the year. His He just doesn't consistently win at the way he's capable of when he's feeling really healthy. So I think that's a big part of it. I would be amazed if he's on the team next year. Yeah, it's gotten to the point now where it almost feels like maybe if Sammy feels a little something go a little bit wrong in his body, he shuts it down. Like You kind of see him physically shut down on some plays. You also see him, you know, especially with altitude this week, he's sucking air with McCall Hardman after the first series. I, I just don't know that... I, I, we saw the best version of Sammy Watkins against Jacksonville. We actually saw a very, very good version of Sammy Watkins uh, against one. Minnesota. <laughs> was that Minnesota I, when he was hauling yeah, in everything? I think so. It just, I, we, there are flashes of him, and this is kind of the story of his entire career. When you see the best version of Sammy Watkins, you get it. You, you understand it. The problem is you don't see the best version of Sammy Watkins too often. And it's not injuries right now. I don't believe he'd obviously be on the injury report if it was. I just think that there's just a lot of things going on. I will be very curious to see what he does after this year because, yeah, I'm with Maddie. I don't think he's in Kansas City. Chiefs, let's 11. What is the deal with the wide receivers not named Tyreek Hill? And why are they no longer targeted? So I think we're kind of unpacking it as we go along here i don't know how much trust sammy Watkins has right now i don't know how consistent he is on a play to play to play basis mccall hardman is kind of a niche player right now i he's he's not got a full developed route tree you can pretty much list on one hand the types of routes that he's caught to this point this year um and he's not i mean he's fast but he's not tyree kill he's not that kind of guy and i don't think his physical abilities with the stop and start, the ability to change directions, all that kind of stuff, I don't think that's really what his game is anyway. He's a vertical stretch guy, and he's you know a guy that you kind of try to manufacture some touches for him, and if he gets up to full speed, he's terrifying. But that's that's kind of what he is. He's not a good route runner, flat out. Like His route tree is very small. The Chiefs don't ask him to run a lot for obvious reasons. Uh, Demarcus Robinson, I think he has the trust of Mahomes, but I mean, they tried to force feed a ball on a seam to him and it was awful and it was an interception. So there's just a lot of little things with this group. This is, it's, it's not a good group right now. If Tyree kills not on the field, it's just, it, it's not getting the job done. I think we talked about Sammy a little bit and I'm with Kent here. Mahomes or McCole Hardman. He's very fast. He's got great acceleration, but he's a very linear player. So his route tree, not only is it limited, it's also very linear it's not going to be something that's going to beat man-to-man coverage unless he's just given the space to outrun somebody, which we've seen this year. He's been very effective in his role. You can never take that away from him. He has been one of the best rookie wide receivers this year, even though it's come in a limited role. You can't take that away from him, but when you force him to be your wide receiver two or your wide receiver three on every single play, regardless of what the play call is, and the opposition's going to run man-to-man coverage, you can't rely on him to 
beat that man-to-man coverage in a timely fashion. You can't run timing routes with him very often just because he's still learning to be a route runner. He's still trying to get on the same page with Patrick Mahomes, and he simply does not run his routes very cleanly unless it's a go route or that post route where he does have a nice outside-inside move to run on his post, but that's about it. Demarcus Robinson's just up and down. He's inconsistent. He's looked for latent downs. They do try to force him the ball. It's been wildly unsuccessful in terms of this catch percentage and the production out of it. If teams are going to continue to play man coverage, I don't know how the Chiefs have not tried Byron Pringle again. I know I'm a huge Byron Pringle fan. I've talked about him a ton, but here's the thing. You watch teams play man coverage against the Chiefs. You cannot tell me that McCole Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, or maybe even Sammy Watkins on a consistent basis are beating man coverage as well and as often as he has in his limited snaps. If teams are going to continue to play man coverage, especially if he'll miss his time, you have to get more Byron Pringle out there to just keep teams away from playing man or get a guy you can trust out there on the field. Yeah, I, you just can't count on any of these guys to beat man coverage, like Matt said. So, I, I, I mean, those two guys basically covered everybody already. It's just such a problem that when Tyreek Hill leaves the game that you immediately lose every ability to beat man coverage, and it just makes it so much easier for a defense to cover these guys. they got to find somebody. they got to do better. JW19 asks, uh, what do you guys think was the biggest problem on offense last week? Is is Mahomes not 100%? Is the O-line failing him? Lack of running game? Play calling? And I'm, I'm going to tweak this question a little bit. I'm going to add field conditions to this. Uh, and I want all of us to just pick one. Just pick one, and we'll go from there. Maddie, you start off. Honestly, it's a weird combination of all of them. If I have to pick one Lame. thing, though that I think played the biggest role. I think the play calling was complete and utter garbage. I understand the concept behind it of trying to get out of the game, trying to control the ball to keep the defense from getting too gassed. I understand the concept of just trying to get your ball the way down the field, not trying to look for the home run plays and go into mistakes or anything like that. But at some point in time, when the game was that close, I thought it was unbelievably wild to trust a Chiefs defense, even if playing well, to win the game and not try to win it with your MVP quarterback. The Chiefs did that numerous times down the stretch. I just don't think the play calling did them any favors. I think it's, again, crazy that Andy Reid does not go into different route combinations to beat man coverage, although the Chargers did a good job mixing up. I just don't think he gave his receivers a lot of help when they clearly needed it. I think we had that conversation three or four weeks in a row earlier in the year, so there's no reason to go too deep there. But I just don't think it was Andy Reid's best coaching performance but I do wonder if he was just trying to get out of Mexico City as healthy as can be, especially once they got the lead and just get to the bye week. I, regardless of what any one of those players said after the game, that field was coming up. It was coming up in a big way. I think guys were protecting themselves a little bit. I do think that play calling was bad, but I'm going to go with field conditions. I just think that that really was uh, get, get back home, get on a better field, get yourself back in Arrowhead on a field that you can trust with footing that you can trust. We saw so many guys fall down, slip and fall on both sides of the ball, just bringing up giant clods of grass. I So I'm going with field conditions. I'm going to answer this question, but I'm kind of going to do it partially with uh, this next question. So Derek Reland asks, is it me or did Andy Reid lose all sense of creativity and play calling after Tyreek Hill left the game? Yeah, he did. <laughs> and we didn't really get to see much creativity beforehand too, but there's there's a lot in play here. I think Tyreek Hill, I, like, let's just look at it this way. Tyreek Hill hurt himself on the seventh play or whatever it was. 
I think the call. I think the call sheet probably got reduced a little bit. I think they probably wanted to do some stuff with Ty, and they weren't. And they weren't going to try to use it with somebody else. Um, so I think the call sheet might have got restricted. And I think, th- <laughs> honestly, watching the second half, it looked like they ran out of plays because they ran the same concepts multiple times. Uh, they ran the same vertical down the field dump off to McCole Hardman or to LaShawn McCoy twice within a matter of like six plays. Then they basically did the same thing, only they made it a screen pass and released two linemen down the field with them and it didn't work. And the Chargers picked up on it because a linebacker started sitting down instead of getting depth. Uh, he was ready for it. Uh, I think the Chargers did a pretty good job of, you know, they, they were really not going to let the Chiefs challenge them deep or beat them deep. And so they were going to just rally to everything underneath. And the Chiefs 100% adjusted. You saw some very significant changes to how they were calling plays. They were throwing up balls right in front of the underneath coverage. And that's why Travis Kelsey ate. That's why he saw so many hitches. It was run off the receivers down the field, and then Travis Kelsey sits down seven yards over the ball or you know on a hitch route or whatever, and, and that's what their offense was. I think it was a fear of we already lost Tyreek Hill. We can't lose somebody else. I think it was maybe the call sheet got restricted. I think it was just let's try not to – you know let's just try to survive this game. Can't argue with any of that. I think the Chiefs also ran more sprint outs than I've ever seen them run with Patrick <laughs> Mahomes. And, and I they will, didn't work. And not a single one worked. I don't understand. I've never liked sprint out options, especially the short side of the field where you reduce your oh, reads to me. nothing. They are the absolute <laughs> worst. And the NFL loves those garbage plays. I will never understand Let's run why. option into the boundary. I, I will never understand it. But the Chiefs ran a ton of them. It, and I agree with Kent that it seemed like they started to run out out of different play, not just route combinations, but just like concepts. They were running a lot of the same stuff just out of different formations. It was a ton of different stick routes, a ton of different two receivers mirroring each other on the same side of the field, just trying to stress zone coverage, which makes sense. The problem was the Chargers very quickly picked up that once Tyreek Hill left, it wasn't going to be a vertical passing attack anymore. It was going to be Travis Kelsey or thrown to the running back, and the Chiefs continued to try that every single time, and nothing was working. And yeah, I think that goes back to Andy Reid, who I think has had one of his rougher seasons in his entire career at calling offensive plays this entire season. Part of it's Patrick Mahomes' injury, working with the backup quarterback, but Andy Reid has not been on his A game all year, and I think this game was kind of the perfect culmination of everything coming together. Where's that Where's that index card stack of Pat plays? I haven't seen them yet. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with more of your questions right after this. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, 
can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Okay, Tom Childs, 56. Our guy, follow him on Twitter if you aren't already. Fellow Arrowhead Pride teammate. Why does Andy Reid hate analytics? Why? Can't why? Uh, Andy Reid is notoriously... like I, I don't think he completely hates analytics. I don't think he loves analytics. It's kind of like a love-hate relationship. He likes them. You know, I think they utilize it in some instances, but Andy Reid is consistently... Um, going to use and trust his gut like that's something that he's talked about on several instances and um i mean that's just the reality with him so um obviously there are more progressive and aggressive things that andy reed could be doing with his decision making and maybe they'd win a few games or two because of it but uh, i think you're just gonna have to live with that I've said it before and I'll say it again. Andy Reid is the most passive, aggressive, in quotation marks, coach you will ever find in the NFL. He is very much stuck in an old school situational football mindset. He does not take a ton of risks in terms of fourth downs, of trying to move the ball through the air when you have a lead, you're trying to run the clock. He very much keeps it old school when it comes to that. And I think part of it boils down to we've talked about his over-trusting of his guys, of his friends on the defensive coaching side of the ball for his team. I think he still believes that his defense, no matter what, he believes in his guys' defense or offense to go make a play. And it worked out this week. It just most weeks it's not going to, and it's already bit the Chiefs multiple times this year. He trusts his team, his friends, his players to go make a play on the defensive side of the ball, so he would rather not risk trusting his offense for some reason to give his defense a chance. It drives most of us crazy, I'm sure, but Andy Reid's been doing this a long time. Like Kent said, he trusts his gut, he believes in it, and as long as his players believe in him or his reasoning for it, it's going to work out more times than it won't. The problem is when the players start to question, even if not publicly, but behind closed doors, start to question that gut feel over what is more obvious to us on the outside or what the analytics say, then you might get a little bit more of an issue creeping up. Yeah, uh, Andy Reid trusts his gut. I don't know if you guys have seen pictures of Andy Reid, but he's had that gut for a little while. Oh, wow, that's a fat joke. That's not a fat joke. That's he's just literally joke. had that gut. For a no, long it was just time. an age joke. An age joke. I'm gonna treat you. It, he he's had it for a long time. He's very set in his ways. Like like these guys have said, he he would rather instill confidence in maybe an underperforming unit rather than ruin it by taking it away from him. Like those defensive guys also want to go out there and they want to come up with the stops. You've heard those guys say it. They've said we relish the opportunity to put the team on our back to come out there and win the game for them. Now, they haven't done it. Don't get me wrong. It's not like that's a good decision to try and trust them until this week. But they really, you know, Andy Reid wants to believe in his guys. He wants to give them that confidence because he wants to be able to get to January and count on them in tough moments. So he puts them in tough moments. Problem is... It doesn't go with what the analytics say. It doesn't necessarily go with what's right or what's good for EPA or oh, you know what anybody should be doing. <laughs> but there's so many teams in this league that just don't. 
So uh, that's the way it works. All right. Adam Zook asks, it doesn't seem like a coincidence that the Chiefs have had their most dominant performances versus below-average mobility quarterbacks. Philip Rivers, Joe Flacco, Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins. Uh, it also seems like they really struggle containing mobile cornerbacks. Is there a feasible path to better containing mobile cornerbacks in January? Well, thank you for asking a defensive question. Finally, Adam Zook, I really appreciate <laughs> you. The defense has their best performance of the week, and everybody just wants to talk about how terrible the offense played. Go figure. Uh, that's how it worked previous. I actually thought that the Chiefs did an excellent job containing Lamar Jackson when they played the Ravens. I, I think that kind of gets glossed over a little bit when talking about what the Chiefs did. Lamar Jackson had 128 yards passing through three quarters, and the Chiefs should have intercepted him three times and didn't. So I think that they actually do a pretty good job when they can limit a guy, the problem is a guy like Rodgers that can throw outside of the pocket accurately, a guy that can maybe make throws on the run like Deshaun Watson as well, is a real, real problem. Lamar Jackson just isn't from a passer standpoint up to those guys just yet. So they use a lot of scrape exchanges. You saw it this week with Frank Clark blowing up a wham block and Damian Wilson coming over to set the edge. They're able to do a lot of that. They've got the personnel with those heavier linebackers to be able to set the edge, contain a quarterback. I'm looking forward to playing Lamar Jackson again this year. I think the Chiefs have the right recipe to beat them, and I'm really kind of ready to take them down a peg since everybody's all over them. It's, it's nice to be in a little bit more of an underdog role from that point. Patrick Mahomes is fixing to establish his or announce his presence with authority. So, uh, fan slightly asks, Maddie, why did we cut Joey Ivy? Because this team does wild stuff with the bottom of the roster, such as promoting a second punter and losing Cody Thompson off the practice squad, or now cutting the only other interior quality, not even quality, just half quality pass rusher in Joey Ivy so that they could sign a third string tight end. They make the most head scratching bottom of the roster decisions. We had to get Gary Dieter before this game, apparently. We have to now get a third string tight end in because Blake Bell hasn't been good. Deion Yelder hasn't been great. Oh man, he was bad. And last now week. apparently all of a sudden we need another backup tight end and to go ahead and do that, let's go ahead and get rid of the only other defensive tackle that has a slight bit of explosion as a pass rusher. He's not great, but he's still the next best interior pass rusher in terms of penetration ability after Chris Jones and now you're going to go ahead and let him go because you need that third tight end. Corey Peter asks, what are we going to do without Joey Ivy's pass rush? Red in the rant Swanson voice. Apparently, that's the rant That's the rant Swanson voice now. Uh, Matty, you're talking all about Joey Ivy. I think that's just more an indictment about how bad of a pass rush interior this group is if he is the second best, best interior pass rusher. Because Joey Ivy is not good. He has nothing to write home about. There is nothing about Joey Ivy's pass rush. Two, that two is pressures this week. Two pressures this week. Nope, did see it. That was actually Mike Pinnell. You just how many pressures no, did Chris was Jones great. have? Mike Pinnell was great. Uh, I, there's not really a good place to uh, put this, but Chris Jones' best impact on that game was 
Philip Rivers throwing a ball off his off his. Uh, he swatted another one down after that. Actually, but, it was uh, dropping into coverage on that first oh, drive yeah, that because he stepped right in front of a pass that was going to Keenan Allen and likely a touchdown. And Twitter blew up because Chris Jones dropped into coverage like it was a bad thing. Um, <laughs> I was watching Chris Jones play in elevation, and all I could see was I, I saw his first practice back <laughs> for training camp, and it looked like the same. Like he was just dead. He was dead by like play three. He was dead by warmups. And <laughs> poor Chris Jones trying to go out there and play. I I understand why he had his struggles to to uh, to make an impact on the game. P Flum, I like this question. So far this year, who has been your most pleasant surprise and who has been your biggest disappointment? There's good answers on both. I think no repeats. <laughs> oh man, I'm going last. So more. I'm just gonna stay with one position. I, my most pleasant surprise was Emmanuel Agba. I know he's hurt now, but honestly, the man was was a monster. Hey, he really was very good, both playing three-tech and playing defensive end. I would be more than happy with signing him again. And then my biggest disappointment has been Alex Okafor. He's been hurt, but he's been expected to be a starter across from Frank Clark. Early on in the season, teams really, really focused hard on Frank Clark. Not that they haven't now, but they've been really focused on Clark, and that's left Alex, Alex Okafor single-blocked for most of the year, uh, able to kind of put his own impression on the game if he was playing well, and he wasn't. So he needs to come back and really play really well to make up for the fact that they don't have Ogba in the rotation anymore. He's been my biggest disappointment. For me, my biggest disappointment, we've talked about him a little bit already, but it's Sammy Watkins. I just thought he was going to be in town for a good year this year. I thought he was going to be ready. I thought he was going to explode, especially once Tyreek Hill got hurt. You saw that Jacksonville game. I thought it was going to be a Sammy Watkins year. We were about to be rolling. We're going to be feeling real good, be up against a difficult decision to keep him or let him go. Since then, he has decided to be absolutely awful. He has decided to not play half the time, it doesn't seem like. And I understand that he's probably hurting. He's a little bit injured. But his effort level wanes. His performance then wanes. He's had some favorable matchups against okay cornerbacks that just haven't stuck. He has not been great this year, so he's going to be my kind of disappointment. As far as the guy that surprised me the most, Charvarius Ward. I thought he was going to be absolutely terrible in this defense. I don't think he's been great. I think he's been fine for a second, probably more of a third cornerback, but he's been okay, and that's a lot better than I thought he was going to be. He makes some nice plays. He's really figured out how to defend a drag route across the middle of the field. He knows how to drive on it. I think you saw this week again, he got beat over the top a couple times where Mike Williams dropped one ball, got away with maybe a push-off, but it's not like Charvarius Wood was in particularly good position to stop it anyway or like he was going to turn to find the ball. So he's still got his flaws. He's still not his top-tier corner. I still don't even know if I feel great about him as the team's second-best corner, but he's a functional NFL player that should see kind of starting-level snaps, and that's a lot higher than I thought he was going to be coming into the year or what he looked like after the first couple weeks. I think my most pleasant surprise to this point is McCole Hardman, and Mm -hmm. he's kind of doing exactly – like. If you listen to back on the shows during the offseason, he's basically exactly what we thought he was as far as like how his role is going to be defined and what he's going to be. What I am very surprised and pleasantly surprised about is how effective he's been able to be in that role. Like we thought there was we thought there was a, a clear path to success for him and he's taken it 
full on. I mean, he's he's making explosive plays downfield. He's catching balls behind the line of scrimmage or, or some of these gadgety plays, and he's, he's getting up to top speed and running away from people. I, I think it's a credit to Andy Reid, who has utilized him really well. I think it's a credit to McCole Hardman, too, because I think he's, you know, he's still, he's got a long ways to go uh, to become a, a complete receiver, but I think him being able to find production in the midst of, of learning how to how to play the receiver position and, and develop as a route runner and all that stuff, I think is really, really promising. And I think you got to feel good about that. So credit to everyone all around because I, I it's, it's good. It's a really good thing that he's getting that kind of pr- production. Biggest disappointment, I think, is Kendall Fuller for me. Uh, he was a guy that we were really optimistic, at least me and Craig, where Matty wasn't. Uh, <laughs> me and Craig, I think, had a little bit more optimism and hope that he could return maybe to the 2017 version of himself that the Chiefs traded for. Uh, a guy that, you know, his instincts would really take over in a lot of situations. He would run the routes for receivers. Uh, but that hasn't happened. He hasn't played up to, to anything we saw in 2017. Still has a hard time carrying vertically, all that kind of stuff. So um, very disappointed. I was kind of hopeful that maybe he'd, he'd fit in better with Steve Spagnuolo, and that's just not the case. I know he's been hurt for a while, but the tape he put up before that was ungood. And now, see, okay. that's funny that we went through that entire thing without pleasant surprise being Mike Pinnell, the Chiefs MVP, Oh, and, yeah. And uh, Cam Irving, who tried to break the franchise. The standard for Cam Irving was <laughs> well below any expectations other people's had for me. I, know, I knew but, Cam Irving but he sucked. was so far below it. And he's a Tottenham fan. So just no, no, all around no. He's a what fan? Like a Tot- totem pole? Uh, yeah, totem pole Spurs fan. That, that's exactly what it was. I think everybody knew that Cam Irving was a very bad offensive tackle besides the Chiefs. <laughs> well, so the fact that he was terrible doesn't really be like a disappointment. Like I knew it was going to happen. Maybe I'm disappointed that he decided to step on Patrick Mahomes' feet like 13 times per game. But I mean, besides that, like what what did you expect when you put him back at offensive tackle? I'm pretty sure I saw some Cam Irving love this offseason. It was it was, must have been a really long offseason if someone was trying to rationalize Cam Irving because I mean. He is what we thought he was. Um, Brett and Howard, how do you rank the off-season needs? Ooh, a little off-season action. Me, quarterback, linebacker, cornerback again, <laughs> offensive tackle, uh, wide receiver because you're cutting Sammy Watkins. I think that. I think that's my five. Yeah. Cornerback, linebacker, cornerback, <laughs> wide receiver two, because you don't have one once Robinson and Watkins are gone, then swing tackle slash future offensive tackle. Cornerback, linebacker, <laughs> reluctantly, wide receiver, uh, probably some kind of lineman. In a guy that you play inside outside, those are my four. Cornerback again, also cornerback. We we hate we hate running backs. Running backs don't matter. And if I see another <laughs> I just, mock draft, I just I, wanted what? I wanted Kent to say it. That's all it was. I wanted him. Grant Swanson coming at you live. <laughs> Why? I baited him. <laughs> Did 
You called me Kirk Cousins today, too. I did call you Kirk Cousins today. Okay, Derek Vreeland moving on. Uh, the Monday night game was the tale of two halves. What scheme or personnel adjustments did Spags make in the second half? Craig, a defensive he, question he, again. He kind of stopped blitzing. Uh, he sent a lot of pressure at Phillip Rivers early. He threw to about the two-minute mark in the second quarter. He had blitzed 42% of the dropbacks. He was bringing the heat. He was making Philip Rivers have to get the ball out quickly, which he was. I'm not saying that the blitz was success- successful, but Spagnolo was able to rattle Philip Rivers, and then he relied on uh-huh. the four-man rush. The entire fourth quarter was basically a four-man rush and forced Philip Rivers to kind of hear footsteps. You saw him and how terrible he played. He was constantly climbing and moving around the pocket, trying to avoid pressure that may or may not have been there, and it didn't allow him to have a good base. Not that Phil necessarily has a great base to begin with as he shot putting it around the field, but it forced him to be even more inaccurate, and that's kind of what was the difference in the game. It forced Phillip Rivers to get out of his comfort zone. I, I liked it. I mean, at the end of the game there, Spags was basically running a standard cover two shell, a little bit of that slot drop cover two, and just kind of relying on the four-man rush to force Phillip Rivers to make mistakes. We've seen that happen. We've seen that work against him for countless years with Bob Sutton at the helm. I it, it really worked, and so credit to him for setting the tempo early and then backing off and letting Phil make his mistakes. Yeah, besides the blitzing, I don't think there was a ton of different changes. The Chiefs were kind of, once they brought all the pressure and they pulled it back, they just decided to let Frank Clark go to town. They decided to let Joey Ivey go to town, just get <laughs> pressure on Phillip Rivers left and right. They were just trying to let their guys, let their front four bring the heat. And it was working. Phillip Rivers couldn't just check down to an uncovered Austin Eckler. I do think it helped at halftime that the Chiefs just decided to say, Jordan Lucas may be hurt now. Dan Sorensen, you're going out there on the field. You were following Austin Eckler wherever he goes pretty much no matter what. That is now your job. It stands the few plays we're going to put you deep. Not necessarily simplified, but they just made it very clear somebody was going to cover Eckler because that was apparently an issue in the first half, which I will never understand. They quit <laughs> blitzing, letting Passigno or a linebacker from the opposite side of the field try to pick up Eckler as he sprinted out of the backfield. Yeah. They kind of simplified the coverage assignments for Eckler. They just let their front four bring the pressure. Frank Clark was dominant throughout the whole game, and that pretty much was the end of it right there. You get ahead of Phillip Rivers, and you let Phillip Rivers try to lead comeback drives, you're going to succeed. He's the worst quarterback of all time trying to come from behind and win a football game. <laughs> Sounded a little rantish. Uh, it's about it's about Phil. It doesn't matter. It's a I divisional rival. It's not fact. some random Minnesota quarterback. It's kind of aggressive. It's kind of aggressive from a from a Matthew Lane. <laughs> trying to uh, it was it was pretty obvious. Spags got caught a couple times. He did in the first drive specifically he got caught showing a double a pressure whatever it was and and forcing tano to peel off with austin <laughs> eckler then the first play of the game it was like yeah let's let let's let reggie raglan cover derrick henry and trip on the quicksand field i was told that reggie raglan had to be on the field for the chiefs defense to be successful so i don't know what you wanted them to do kent i don't know all right. Uh, um, Airhead for- Focus asks, will Dan Sorensen be on the defense after this season? Uh, we're going to answer that question on Monday. We're going to break down 
uh, a lot of potential cut players and all that stuff because it is a draft-heavy show on Monday next week, previewing the Senior Bowl, previewing previewing some roster decisions potentially they're going to make, and a mock draft from the uh, from the AP Nerd Squad. The answer is no. Dan Sorensen won't be on the team next year, but we'll answer that question on Monday on that show. We'll catch you later. <laughs>